Lord Jesus, I thank you for each person who is here today, and I pray that your words would um, shape our, our thoughts now and our hearts and give us openness to what you want to say to us and uh, help us to trust the truth that you give us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Those were words that uh, the German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in the 1930s. And he uh, wrote that in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with. And then in that same passage where he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die, he said, the cross is laid on every Christian. It's one thing to say those words, to write those words. It's another thing to live those out. And if you know the story of Bonhoeffer, he did live those words out to the very end. As a German pastor, he stood up to uh, the Nazis. He was involved in a plot to assassinate Hitler. The plot was uncovered. Bonhoeffer died as a martyr because he saw his opposition to Hitler and the Nazis as part of what it meant to take up his cross and follow Jesus. He saw it as a matter of Christian discipleship. Hitler had taken the place of God and needed to be opposed. What does it mean for us today to take up our cross and follow Jesus? I want us to think about that question today and and even next Sunday. So this might be a two-part sermon. Lessons in Following Jesus, part one. And then next Sunday, part two. Because as I started to think about our gospel reading for today, I kept coming back to another place in Luke chapter nine, which really lays the foundation for what Jesus is saying here, where Jesus is making a demand for ultimate allegiance to him, that he takes ultimate priority and place in the lives of those who would follow him. And you need to go back to what Jesus said earlier in Luke chapter 9 as the foundation for this demand that he's making here. And so we'll do that today and then next week take this up again. But I would like for you to look back at Luke chapter 9. Take a Bible if you have one handy um, and look at Luke chapter 9 starting in verse 23. This is an pivotal point in Jesus' ministry as he makes a transition from ministering in Galilee to journeying towards Jerusalem. And so now in Luke's gospel, there's this transition to the, the journey to Jerusalem. Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem and he knows what awaits him. He knows the cross awaits him there. And so I'm going to start at uh, verse 23 of Luke chapter 9. And hear these words of Christ. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's going to be at the heart of the sermon today, that verse. But then hear what else he says. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake Will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. 
But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Jesus said these words, these staggering words, just when his movement was gaining popularity, or maybe we could say as it was sort of at the peak of popularity. Earlier in this chapter, he has sent out the twelve apostles, the twelve disciples on a mission, and he gave them the power to heal and to cast out demons as they went throughout the villages to preach the gospel. And it was a very successful mission trip for these twelve disciples. It says that they did preach the gospel and they healed everyone. And then after that, after the twelve returned to Jesus from their very successful mission trip, Jesus fed a crowd of 5,000 people. Five loaves and two fish. A great miracle. So at this point, Jesus is gaining in popularity and it seems that following Jesus is a good bet. He has the power to heal. He has miraculous power to feed people. If you follow Jesus, your health care is provided and you get free meals. <laughs> and so he's at the height of popularity. Because people are seeing the benefits at this point of following Jesus. You know, some people today follow Jesus thinking only of the benefits. Some people today have bought into a false gospel, the prosperity gospel. And they think if I give to Jesus, if I give to the church, I give him material blessings, then automatically I'm going to get material blessings. And so the motive is, what can I get out of Jesus? Some people turn to Jesus only when they need some peace of mind or they're looking for a miracle. But the idea of following Jesus every day of their life is not quite registered. There can be a temptation for people like me who preach regularly, who minister in the name of Jesus to, to, to make Jesus a way that I can have a platform where I can display whatever gifts he's given to me. And it becomes about me and not Jesus. We need to hear, I need to hear afresh, Jesus' call to take up the cross. What it means to follow Him. He is the crucified Lord. And so, if we follow Him, we have to take up the cross. So, what does that mean exactly? And that's what I want to talk to you today. What does it mean to take up the cross? Just a couple of points here. First, it means self-denial. No doubt about it. If anyone would come after me, Jesus says, let him deny Himself. If I'm going to embrace the cross, I have to deny myself because to embrace the cross means I'm embracing death. The cross means death to self. How do we understand this? Well, I, I heard one pastor talk about it this way. He said in the Gospels, there's only a couple of times where that word deny is used. It's used here and another time it's used is to talk about Peter's denial of Jesus. Remember, Peter did not want to be identified with Jesus. Peter did not want to be associated with Jesus. He said, I do not know him. And he denied Jesus three times. And then Jesus looked at Peter and he remembered, Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. that He would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. So to deny means I disavow any connection with that person. I'm not with him. 
And this pastor made the point, he said, to deny myself, in a sense, means I look in the mirror and I say, that guy's not in charge. I'm not with him. He's not in charge of my life. I'm not going to believe in him or her. I'm going to believe in the crucified and risen Lord. Self-denial does not mean I denigrate myself or I deny the gifts that God has given to me. It doesn't mean that I deny the talents and the ability, uh, my dignity and worth. It means I'm going to base my identity on Christ. I'm going to use my gifts for Christ. And my values are going to be based on what Christ has said. And so many people today, this is so countercultural, isn't it? Because we live in the selfie culture. <laughs> And people say that way to find happiness and freedom is to express yourself and find your truth and live that truth out, your truth. But a Christian says, no, my truth is found in Christ. My identity is found in Christ. And part of denying the self means that I'm going to say no to my sinful, selfish self. That part of me that is in conflict with the way of Christ. In our epistle reading, Paul talks about the flesh and the spirit. The works of the flesh and the works of the spirit or the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the flesh is the sinful, self-centered part of me. That part of me that is not touched or is resisting the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to crucify. On the way of following Jesus. To crucify the flesh. So Paul gives some examples of the works of the flesh. He talks about anger for example. And uh, the flesh often feels justified in lashing out in anger. In fits of anger. If somebody hurts me or annoys me. I feel like I have the right then to lash out in anger. But the spirit of Christ is the spirit of peace. The fruit of the spirit is peace and gentleness, and self-control, and kindness. So when anger wells up within me as a Christian, and I feel like I have the right to lash out, I need to say, I'm not with that guy. I'm not with that gal. That's not the real me. That's not my identity. That needs to die. That needs to go to the cross. Deny my sinful self. The, the flesh, the sinful self, equates freedom with Self-gratification. And um, Paul says that we're to use our freedom as Christians not to gratify our flesh, but to serve others in love. Today, many people equate freedom with fulfilling your desires, no matter who gets hurt in the process. But Paul says as Christians, we're to use our freedom and love to serve others. I keep hearing about, and maybe you do too, about an epidemic of loneliness in America. And not only here, but in, in Europe and in Japan, an epidemic of loneliness. And they've traced this to, at least one factor here, is the breakdown of the family in our modern society. And underneath the breakdown of the family, and of course not in every instance, but underneath of the breakdown of the family, a lot of that has to do with this philosophy of the self. That my goal in life is to fulfill myself and my desires, even if that is going to hurt my spouse 
or my children or those I love. Jesus teaches a better way. (laughs) Jesus teaches a way that is really life-giving, that leads to flourishing, that makes for stronger families and stronger relationships and stronger communities and stronger churches. It is the way of the cross. It is death to the flesh, to the sinful, selfish part of me. And Jesus says, paradoxically, when you die to that part of you, you actually will find true life. You'll discover the real meaning, why you are why you're alive and the very purpose of it. And so to take up the the cross is this way of self-denial. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and then take up the cross and follow me. Are there places in your life where you feel like God is saying, this needs to die, this needs to go. This is part of the old life. I've redeemed you now. Walk in newness of life. Walk in the Spirit. What are the places in your life that you're hanging on to the works of the flesh. And to take up the cross is also to be willing to suffer shame. This keeps getting better and better, doesn't it? You know? Join me on the way of self-denial and shame. You know, not exactly selling points if you're trying to start a movement. But Jesus is, is he's wanting to be clear about the cost of following him. Again, there are people who are who are benefiting from his miraculous power, and he wants people to know what they're in for, to count the cost of making a commitment to him. And the fact is, I mean, his first followers did have to deal with being shamed and ostracized and persecuted as a follower of Christ. If you were concerned about your reputation within Judaism at this time, then you wouldn't want to follow Christ if that's your primary concern because the Jewish leaders are saying he's a fraud, he's a fake. If you're concerned about your public reputation and your safety, then you don't want to follow Christ in the first century. Many of them suffered ridicule and worse. They were persecuted. So Jesus says, I want you to be aware what the cross entails. And of course, the cross is a symbol of humiliation and shame. The Roman writer Cicero said that a decent Roman citizen should not even hear the word Christ mentioned in his or her company, much less be subjected to the sight of the cross. And on the cross, Jesus was humiliated. He was stripped and he was mocked and he was scorned by leaders and those passing by. So to take up the cross is in some sense to follow Jesus to that place. The place of shame, the place of being an outcast, And that's why Jesus warns his followers here. He says, whoever is ashamed of me, whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and the glory of the holy angels. Jesus is coming again in glory. But he wants us to know that there's a cost of following him. We have to be willing to stand with him and identify with him when the social pressure is on. And that is not easy to do. It's easy to talk about here in this place. But there's been times, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, even in my own life, when people ask me, well, what do you do for a living? And they've just told a dirty joke. <laughs> or they've been cursing. And then they turn to me and say, well, now, what do you do, Ben, for a living? And I've been tempted to say, well, I... Uh, 
nonprofit work, you know, <laughs> self-employed. <laughs> I haven't done it, but I've been tempted. I know what that feels like. Uh, partly because I don't want to make them uncomfortable, but partly because I don't want to be associated with the negative preconceptions that they might have about Christians. I don't want to be bearing some shame, shame associated with the cross. And today in America, there's a greater social cost, isn't there, than I think ever before, certainly in recent history, of identifying as a Christian, especially a Christian who believes that these words are true, they are from God, and that Jesus' words are true. That can lead to a great social cost today. I remember hearing a priest, this priest not in our diocese, but another diocese, he was teaching on, on this topic of evangelism and mission. His name is uh, Stephen. And he was talking about the time when he was in business, before he was ordained. But he was very involved in the church. He was at a, a dinner party with business associates. And there was a lady who came late to the dinner party. And when she came in, she explained to the rest of the party, well, I'm late because I had to drop my kid off at church because he's going through catechism. And there was this tension in the room that enveloped the room. There was a sense of, ooh, you know. You bring your kids to church. And she, so she felt this tension. And she said, well, I, I, I think it's good for the kids. And then she turned to Stephen and she wanted to shift the spotlight off of her. And she said, well, what do you think, Stephen? And he said at that moment, um, you know, I could have said, well, I agree. It's good for the kids and, and leave it there. But he said, I felt it was one of those. Jesus was saying, are you with me or not? Here and now, are you with me or not? And so... Father Stephen said, I believe it's good for the kids and it's good for me because I believe this personally. I believe Jesus is true. I believe he's the risen Christ. And he stood up for Christ. But we all know how that feels. The feeling of being uncomfortable, creating an awkward moment in a social situation. But following Jesus means saying, I'm with him. And sometimes that means bearing some shame and even ridicule. So we can talk about the cost of following Jesus and there are also great benefits because after the cross is resurrection. And just to touch on that for a moment, Jesus doesn't just say, hey, it's all about the cross, but Jesus talks here about having real life, true life. If you give your life to me, you're going to know the meaning of true life. And then he talks about the glory that is to come. And he says in this passage of Scripture at the end, verse 27, I tell you the truth, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Well, what does he mean by that? Right after this, what happens? The transfiguration happens. Peter, James, and John go up to the mountain of transfiguration and they see the glory of Christ. And so they get a taste of the glory of the kingdom of God as they witness the luminosity, the glory, the light, the brilliance of Jesus Christ. It's a foretaste of, of the glory of Christ that we'll know fully in that day. And so Jesus is saying there is life here and now for those who stand for me. There is the promise of eternal life and the coming of the kingdom of God where you will experience, you will know the glory of God. And so whatever suffering we go through, whatever sacrifice we make for Christ is nothing in light of that glory to come and the eternal salvation that God has promised us. And so the Apostle Paul can say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 
He says, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension, beyond all comparison, rather. Yes, there's suffering, there's sacrifice, but that's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. That's who we are as a people. We're looking to things that are unseen and we get a foretaste of that glory as we worship God, as we pray, as we seek Him to understand Him through His Word, as we commune together, as we come to the table. We get these glimpses, these foretastes of glory that sustain us for the journey, for the way of the cross. God is so good to give us these means of grace and these foretastes of glory to sustain us. But we're not living for this world, ultimately. We're living for the eternal world, the kingdom of God, ultimately. That's our home. But before the glory is the cross. And so let me just close with this. I was reading a picture book the other day with a little three-year-old Sam. It was one of those picture books where there's a village, you know, and you got the fire station and the hospital and the school and a train is going through the mountains in the village and all that. And I said to Sam, I said, now there's, there's a church building. And he said, where's the cross, Dad? Because this building did not have a cross. It looked like a church, but it was a church without a cross. And he was right. Where's the cross? Because that is the symbol of the Christian community. And that is the symbol of a follower of Christ. There is no such thing as a crossless Christian. Of somebody who just says, I'm a Christian, but then they're not following Christ on the way of the cross. Jesus says this. Notice that it says in John 9, 23, it says that he said this to all. So this is not just to an elite group, just the 12 disciples or to pastors. He's saying this to anyone who would come after him. He calls us all to the cross. And it's not just a one-time event. But Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. And so, every day, there's going to be an opportunity for us to take up the way of the cross. Every day, there's going to be an opportunity to deny the sinful, self-centered part of me. To say no to that. To say, I'm not with Him. I'm with Christ, the crucified and risen Lord. And throughout my daily life, there's going to be opportunities for you and I to identify with Jesus, even at the risk of embarrassment or shame. And so, where is the cross? Where's the cross in your life and mine? How is Christ calling you to die to your sinful self? What areas of life is He pointing out and saying, that, that needs to go to the cross? How is Christ calling you to identify with Him? To take up the cross and follow Him to the way that leads to, yes, death, but also glory and eternal life. Amen.